Well, good evening. How are we this evening? Good. I guess God has a sense of humor. Um, because earlier in the week when Gary found out that I was preaching, he emailed me and he was kind enough to ask me. He said, Logan, I know you're preaching on Sunday night. Is there anything that you would like for me to, any songs that you would like for me to particularly lead us in? And I said, no, Gary, just lead as, as God leads you. And uh, it's so funny how God lines things up because exactly what I wanted to talk about tonight is exactly what we just sang about. And so thank you, Gary, for leading us in that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 tonight. Matthew chapter 28, if you'll go there. And no, we're not going to the Great Commission. We're going to get there. But that's actually not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what happens right before the Great Commission. Matt, thanks for the introduction and thank you for a beautiful service this morning. I thought that it was just a great, great service as we um, fellowshiped with the Lord's Supper this morning. Thank you for leading us in that, man. As Matt said, my name's Logan. I'm the college minister here. Uh, Such a joy and an honor to get to serve the college students. I love them. I love the energy and I love the excitement that they bring our church. Um, But even more so, I love you. And I'm just so thankful that you guys would give me the opportunity to come and share God's word um, with you all tonight. Um, so tonight, I believe that you and I have a problem. Um, I I believe that we have a great problem. And I think that uh, the biggest part of that problem is the fact that many of us in the room, including myself, have not realized that there's a problem. And we know that problems, when they go unaware, end up creating even more problems and more problems and more problems, just like cancer. If cancer is in your body and it's living in your body and it's unaware, it is just wreaking havoc on your body. And I've learned um, through family members and different people that um, have been diagnosed with cancer and these things, they go unaware. Um, They wreak havoc to a point where there's no turning back. And so my hope tonight is to encourage you that um, by being aware of a problem that exists in our particular area of uh, North America, I think we can we can at least play our part, as small as that may be, in seeking a solution. And so the problem is this. A recent article was published on June 5th of 2019, so just a month ago. Um, the Barna Group published an article, a survey that was incredibly insightful. Um, if you don't know Barna, Barna is probably the most, um, goodness, probably the most well-rounded but also just best research firms in the country. They do great work. And in this particular one that they released, they surveyed the most post-Christian cities in all of North America. So I want you to hear that. The most post-Christian cities in all of North America. So I don't know how many cities are in North America. I have no concept of that. Um, I'm not good at math, so I try to stay away from those kind of numbers, but I know that there's a lot. And so in this particular article, what I realized is that we land number 51 on that list. And so what I mean by we is, I mean, Waco, Temple, and Belton found themselves number 51 on the most post-Christian cities in North America. You're probably feeling like I felt as I read this article. Now you can expect that many of the cities on the top of that article were New York City, Boston, 
Los Angeles, many of these cities that we're well known that, that Christian, Christianity has very little influence in there. But if you're like me, I would have never dreamed that we would have made it on that particular list. And so I think it's helpful to define what it means to be post-Christian. Barna writes this, and they say, to qualify as post-Christian, individuals must meet nine or more of our 16 criteria, which identify a lack of Christian identity, belief, and practice. These factors include whether individuals identify as atheist, have never made a commitment to Jesus, have not attended church in the last year, or have not read the Bible in the last week. So when they refer to post-Christian, what I think they're referring to is this, that Christianity is a far-gone idea in our particular context. It is something that people have tried, maybe they've experienced, maybe they grew up in the church, but whether they saw it through themselves, their parents, or their grandparents, Christianity just didn't have an effect for them, and so they walked away from it happily. And so many people live, like my aunt and uncle, who live here just close in the area, area who have really no desire for the Lord. They have no um, desire to pursue the things of Jesus. And I think what once used to be the buckle of the Bible belt has lost its influence. And it's terrifying. But I don't think it has to be. I don't think it has to be. You know, being number 51 on this list, there were cities like Portland, Oregon behind us. If you can imagine that. Atlanta, Georgia was behind us. Cincinnati, Cleveland, Albuquerque and Santa Fe, New Mexico, Youngstown, Ohio. Many cities that I would have never dreamed would fall in this particular category behind us did. And so I want to encourage you guys, I want, to, I want to tell you a couple of stories that I've experienced on how this is true in our particular area. Um, just, just a couple of months ago, the college ministry partnered with Renewal Church, the church that we just, par- that we just planted with Matthew Levant. And in that partnership, we all split up into different teams and we partnered with them. And the goal was to canvas as many neighborhoods within a mile radius of North Belton Middle School as we could. And so we all broke up into these different groups. I think there was about four or five people in each group. And we canvassed several, several neighborhoods. I'm not sure how many we did. I know that I I particularly covered 60 houses. So my team had 60 houses. And in that 60 houses, roughly 12 answered the door. Out of that 12, only two were professing Christians. And the other 10 had really no interest in what we had to say whatsoever. As a matter of fact, the goal was twofold. The goal was to invite them and to inform them of a new church in their area, to invite them to renewal church, to be renewed by the love of Jesus. The second one was as simple as that. It was to pray for them. How can we pray for you? And so I'd ask them, is there any way that we can particularly pray for you? Is there anything that you, that, that you need prayer for, whether it's your family, whether it's you? And the answer was, we're fine. We don't need prayer. And so talking to Matthew, he, he informed me of statistics that said that only 8% of Bell County is actively involved in church on Sunday mornings. I look in my neighborhood and I see the very similar thing. I, I, I don't see people leaving to go to church in the mornings. 
I don't see people leaving early to go to church. Another example is this. Jordan and I, my wife, we love to go take neighborhood, neighborhood walks. It's the best time where we can just get out of the house, phone, we leave the phones, and we just get undivided time to just talk. And when we first moved to Belton, it was really unique because we wanted to get to know our neighbors. We wanted to get to know the neighborhood and we wanted to get to know people. And so we would go into our neighborhood and we would walk all through our neighborhood and we're friendly and we're outgoing. And so we're always starting up conversations with people. Um, and it never fails when you're a pastor that people always ask you, so Logan, what is it that you do? And then there's that moment of, do I tell them I'm a pastor? Do I tell them I'm a teacher? How do I not scare them away? <laughs> and so... Because I'm honest, I'm always, I'm proud to be a pastor, so I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minister at First Baptist Belton. And almost always, it's going to blow you away, almost always, they would say, really? Where is First Baptist Belton? Where's, where's First, and I've looked at them like, are you crazy? Have you driven down 6th Avenue? Have you exited off 35 in any recent day? And I know that they have. It's not like Belton is that big of a place. But I think this proves a point that Christianity may be a foregone conclusion even in our area. I think at one point, people would see a church and they would flock to it. My fear is that those days are going away quickly. My fear is that the programs that we create are wonderful and they're good and they're, they're great for the people who are within the church, but I don't know that those things are going to be what gets people in the doors to church and to hear the good news. See, I think there's a point where you and I have to recognize and realize that we can create all the programs and we can create all the wonderful curriculum that we want and we can preach the Bible as much as we want, but it's going to be you and I that are the program. It's going to be you and I who are going next door to our neighbors and saying, I want to tell you a story of the sweet, sweet news of Jesus Christ. How he has met every hope and every need and every longing that I have. See, Gary didn't know it, but he just set us up beautifully for what we really needed to talk about tonight was that we need to get back to our roots. Dr. Kemp preached a beautiful message just a handful of weeks ago. I don't know if y'all were here for that, but... I mean, he just beautifully portrayed really what it means to be Christian. And not that I could add anything to what he said, but I do want to add this, because as I was sitting there listening to him talk and preach, what came to my mind was, we need to become irresistible again. We need to become an irresistible people. And what I don't mean is, I, I don't mean that we need to create more programs. I don't mean that we need to do all of these different things. I think we just need to live distinctively Christian where we are in our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. I think we've got to pick up the torch of Deuteronomy 6 where it says we've got to write these things on our doorposts. And I don't mean on our coffee mugs, but I mean with our life. I think we need to take seriously the call that happens in Acts 1-8 where Jesus looks at 12 men and goes, hey, I, I need you to take what you've seen and I need you to take it all over the world, but I need you to start at home. And while I love our church, I, I led our new members class this morning and man, I'm just, I, I was thrilled to get to do that. I actually love to get to do that and get to know our new members and I love to talk about how much of a missional body we are. 
that we sent almost 200 people across the pond last year. My dad was sitting right there in the pew this morning when I told him that. And he looked at me, he goes, wow, that's impressive. And it hit me. I said, it's only impressive such to the point that we can go to our neighbor and across the street. See, to go across the pond and to even give and to go is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And please do go, go, go. I want you to go. I want our people to go. I want us to continue to grow and be even more and more and more of a missional people over abroad. And to hear what God's doing is amazing. But man, I, I am desperate for you. I'm desperate for us to be a people who's not afraid to go next door. It's not afraid to step across the street because it takes a lot more boldness to do that than it does to go across the globe. See, we're willing to sacrifice to eat really weird stuff. I ate some really weird stuff in Taiwan. <laughs> and it was wonderful. But I often know that there is within me a fear often that gets after my heart when I want to look at Keith across the street from me. And I know I need to, but there's this fear that cripples me sometimes. And I just want to encourage you tonight to say no to that fear and to say yes to Jesus, that he is better and he is more worthy of your fear. And so I want us to get back to being irresistible. And so over the next couple of weeks, tonight and then next week, I'm just going to give you some things that I think God's placed on my heart. Um, just some, some key things that I believe that can make us an irresistible people. And the first one is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. See, it's funny because I, I'm kind of one of the, the weird ones who think that, that the Great Commission happens in verse 16 and 17 before it does in verse 18. Oftentimes you start that sermon on verse 18, but I really think we miss something really, really important in verse 16. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And I want you to see this. And when they saw, the, saw him, they worshipped him. When they saw the risen Jesus, they worshipped him. They just worshipped him. The disciples were in an incredibly tough place. You know, many of them had given up their lives, they'd given up their families, their everything that they knew, their careers, all of their comfort and safety to follow this man who they believed to be the Messiah, only three years later to watch him be whipped and beaten and tortured on a Roman cross and died. I really can't imagine that. I can't fathom that. I've never really given up my life to that extent. But I can imagine that these men and these women who were sitting there going, we just gave up all of our lives to follow this man who we thought was the Messiah. What do we do now? What do we do now? And you see a, a, a crippling fear that exists in the early disciples until the moment when they saw the risen Jesus. And so Jesus directs them and he sends them over to Galilee and then it's there where, where Jesus meets with them and it's there when they worshiped the risen Jesus. See, what I think we need, I think we need to get a real true view of who God is. See, because I think missions begins not with action, but with worship. Not with action, but with worship. See, I think when we have a worshipful heart, when our hearts and our minds are set on the risen Christ and we see Him and we have a view of God, our view for God begins to change. 
our desire and our missions and our focus and all that we do becomes greatly influenced by our view of God, by our worship of God. I think John Piper got it right in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he says, he argues that missions begins with and is fueled by worship. See, the goal for you and for me is to create worshipers. And the beautiful part about that is that you and I and everybody on this planet is already ready a worshiper. What we do and what our job is to do is just to redirect. We're to redirect their focus. We're to redirect their worship. But before we can do that, our worship has to be redirected. Our focus has to be directed. See, it is our love for God that overflows into all of our life. Our workplaces, our homes, and our neighborhoods, our extracurricular activities. Everything that we do and everything that we are as Christians is fueled by worship. And I think that the problem lies, or I think you'll find that the problem in our missions is not our mission strategies, but it is in our misplaced worship. See, many of us struggle with the same thing that the world struggles with. We have too many other things that we're worshiping. We worship our comfort so we don't go. We worship our money so we're fearful to give. Now, I often think of this passage in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. It's oftentimes a coffee cup uh, verse, but I think it's really helpful. I think about this often. It says this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. And just serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with a genuineness, a sincerity, and a faithfulness. And then I love it because the Bible is incredibly practical. He tells us exactly how to do that when he continues. And he says, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So you can't serve the Lord if you're busy worshiping other things. You can't live a life of mission if you're busy serving comfort and worshiping comfort and security and money and status, and appearance, and all these different things. He continues, and he says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods that their fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I think every day we make the choice in who or what we will worship. Our feet, hit, our feet hit the ground, and within minutes of our mornings, we have already made the decision who we will worship, or what we will worship. For much of Israel's life, they chose to worship what the culture around them worshipped. Maybe you'll recall in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when the people looked around, and they realized, you know what? We don't really look like the nations. It's like, well, because you weren't designed to. <laughs> We don't look like the nations. They all have a human king. We want a human king. And so God gives them a human king in Saul. But what we find out is that Saul is never the king that they longed for and that they had hoped for. And he's certainly not the king that was going to save them. And so instead of looking different and distinct from the culture, Israel more often than not looked just like the culture. See, how can we be a light? How can we be an influence if we too look so much like the culture around us? 
See, I think that might be a lot of the reason why we are a post-Christian Bible Belt. Because we have not allowed the Bible to transform us. We have spent a lot of time being busy for Jesus and not a lot of time spending time with Jesus. Now, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. that says, when you behold the glory of God, you are transformed from one degree or another to another. Man, I long to be transformed. And I long for us to be transformed in a real way. I long for us to be a people who worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because you know, Christianity is actually not that hard. Jesus really gives us two commands. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But gosh, why is that so difficult? It's not that hard. It's just two things. It's just, it's just two things. As a dad, right now, I look at my son who's two, and I'm like, I just need you to say, I just, I just need you to obey. <laughs> and I think God thinks the same thing. It's just like, I, I just gave you two things. <laughs> Israel had a gajillion. Israel had a gajillion, and, and yet all he asks of us is undivided attention, undivided affection, undivided devotion. And so much like Israel, we have found ourselves in a place where we worship the God of comfort and materialism and money and retirement plans and family and even the perceived security of our nation. But guys, I, I do believe that being an irresistible community, being an irresistible people begins with the right view of God that leads to an undivided worship of Him. So that's my first thing. My second thing is this. In order to engage this post-Christian culture, and I really think it begins with authenticity. I think in order to be an irresistible people, you and I have to become an authentic people. And Joshua talks about the fact that we need to be a people who worship the Lord and serve the Lord in sincerity and faithfulness. We need to be a sincere people that... When we ask people, how are you? We have to be willing to sacrifice the time to linger. And man, I am so guilty of this. It is so easy for me to get so focused on what I've got to get done today. You can ask the majority of people around me. I'm the first one to say, hey, how are you as I'm walking by? But that is not irresistible. And that is not loving and it is not kind and it is certainly not caring. For me, it's, it's very arrogant to think that my time is more important than others. To be irresistible means that I'm willing to sit and I'm willing to linger. And when I ask you, how are you? I mean it. We need to be a people who are willing to sit and to linger and to be sincere and genuine. And when you ask somebody, how are you? You've got to mean it. We have to mean it. See, we've got to be different than the world. We've got to be a light to the nations. But not only that, I think it's time that we become a people who recognize that we don't have it all figured out and understanding that that's okay. That's okay. See, I, I grew up in, a, in a, a version of Christianity, I'll call it, that says that we have to have it all put together. Sunday best meant that we would put on our best clothes and we would go to church 
and we would clothe with pretty nice clothes all of the nastiness that was going on in our hearts and the fact that we'd be yelling at each other in the car on the way to the church and we'd hit the, the, the curb and my dad would look at us and say, okay, now we're at church, get it together. And that's a true story that would happen more often than not. And I think that's a true story of many of us. I think we all have fallen into that trap where church has become a place where we have to have it all together. But the problem is, is I think our culture has seen that. I think the people around us have seen that and they know it's not true. Or they believe it's true and they're scared to death to come anywhere near it because they're broken. See, I think an irresistible people is a broken people. Understanding that it's, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Understanding that it's okay to struggle. It's okay to suffer. And I can think of no better place in the world to suffer than with you people in this room. I can think of no better place to suffer than within the walls of First Baptist Belton. And what a tragedy it's become where we have create, created and communicated that within these walls, you have to be perfect. You know, I know many marriages who have fallen on that trap. As a matter of fact, one very close to me is happening right now where they're going through a divorce and they're going through a divorce because they were unwilling to seek help. See, they're Christians. And I think there are Christians. Um, and they were incredibly active in their church. As a matter of fact, they led life groups. They're well involved in their church. Their kids grew up in that church. They were well involved. They loved the church. Everybody knew them. But what they didn't know is that they were drifting apart in their heart. And because they were so scared to death of what those people within those walls would think of them, they chose not to share. And by not sharing, they now are looking down the barrel of divorce. And when the divorce rate is no different in the church than it is outside the, of the church, how are we an irresistible people? So I think we missed it in that way. I, I, I think that in our effort to have it all together, to put on the blazer, if you will, of I've, I've got it all together, even when we're broken inside, has communicated that we have missed it. It's communicated that we don't need Christ, that His Sacrifice just wasn't quite good enough because somehow or another what I can wear and my attitude is better and can be portrayed more significant than what's actually going on in my soul. See, in verse 17, some worshipped and some doubted. I think that's helpful for us to know, and I hope it's encouraging, because in verse 17 it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And then that little word there, but, which is my favorite word in all of the Bible, because what comes after it is either encouraging or sometimes discouraging. But I think in this way it seems negative, but I think it's helpful. It says that some doubted. Did you know that there is a place for you to doubt? There's a place for you to doubt, and there's no better place for you to doubt than here within community of people that goes, you know what? I've been there too. But you know what? Jesus is still alive. 
and the Bible is still true, and Jesus is still saving, and so we're going to keep going, and we're going to keep moving, and when you're suffering, look up. Look up, brother. Look up, sister, because Jesus is still healing. Jesus is still healing. Jesus is still providing, and Jesus is still very much alive and active, and so is his word. See, I think to be an irresistible people, we have to be okay with doubt. We have to be okay with brokenness. We have to be okay with suffering. And I think when people walk in that door and they see us pleading and asking and begging for the risen Jesus, the true King, I think there's something very irresistible about that. For us to actually have something that they don't have. See, the culture suffers just like you and I do. The problem is they don't have a risen Jesus to lean on. They don't have what we have. And the only way that they get to see what you have is to see you suffer and to see you lean and to see you depend on something that's bigger than you. Bigger than me, bigger than this church, bigger than the universe. As a matter of fact, he is the creator and the sustainer of this world. And he also holds you in his right hand. And that's a promise. See, to engage this post-Christian culture, we must become a real people with real struggles who rely on a real king who has the power to meet us where we are and to begin to heal any and all brokenness. See, I think that's what the disciples figured out when they met Jesus. I think that's what Peter figured out when he goes from doubting Jesus after Peter. Peter was warned, remember? Peter, Peter was told, Jesus said, hey, you're going to... You're, you're, <laughs> You're going to walk away from me. And Peter says, I would never do that. I would never do that. Moments later, what does Peter do? And then all of a sudden, you see something unleashed in Peter. I think it was because Peter recognized that he was broken and that he would fail. And that even in his failure, Jesus met him in the midst of it and said, now I'm going to build my house on your confession, Peter. And there's some irony to that. See, I think Jesus can still build his house on your confession this, this evening. I think you can build it on my confession. I just think we have to be willing to go across the street. I just think we have to be willing to take up the torch and say, you know what? My neighbor doesn't know Christ. And I got to quit piddling around. Just a handful of weeks ago, we had a community night. And my wife and I took it very seriously. We were like, you know what? We're going to do this. I'm excited about it. That's something I've wanted to do. I've just, quite frankly, just delayed on it. And so we sent in our neighborhood... I don't know, some 50, 60 invitations. And we had 40 people show up to our house. 40 people blew us away. I thought, I'd have, I thought we'd have 10 at best. And it was an incredible night. We got, to, we got to socialize. We got to fellowship. We got to talk and get to know one another. We got to set up opportunities for gospel conversations to really explode and happen because now I know them. And now they know me. And guess what? Ever since then, They've been texting and saying, hey, when are we doing it again? You want to know why? Because they're hungry. Because God's not through with Bell County. Because God's not through with the Bible Belt. I just don't believe that. I believe that as much, discour- as, much as this survey reveals a discouraging message, I think it can be just as much encouraging for you and I. I think it can light a fire under us. And I think it should. And I hope it does. Let me pray for us. God, I am thankful that you are a God who is not done. I'm thankful that you're a God who's not done with me. 
Because boy, do I realize how much I have left to go. I'm broken. Oftentimes I find myself to be arrogant and prideful and ambitious in all of the wrong ways. And God, I just ask that you would remove that. I, I pray that you would remove that from me. I pray that you would remove that from our people. God, I pray that we'd be a kind, tender, sweet, gentle people who love you and have undivided hearts for you. God, I pray that you would give us a new affection that would move us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, I pray that our eyes would be on you. And just like Peter in the boat, I pray, God, when we see the storm, God, we would not look at the storm, but we would look at you knowing that you are the perfect king who has control over the storm. And so in the midst of our brokenness, we can trust that, God, you reach out your hand and you lift our eyes up to you and you say, look at me. Stop looking around. Look at me. Because I'm here. I'm not going anywhere and I'm working and I'm active. And God, help us to believe that with all that we have and that all that we are. And God, give us the boldness to take that step. Give us the boldness to be transformed and Lord, to, to be an irresistible people yet again. I believe with all my heart that the people, the early church in Acts, God, they were an irresistible people. And they were irresistible because you fell on them. And your power and your spirit met them. And so, Lord, I ask tonight that your spirit would meet us here in this building. And with this body of First Baptist Belt and this family, God, I pray that your spirit would create a fire in us and would move us to more of you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. If you're in this place and, man, you're, you just need, you need to know Jesus, then I would love to invite you to come to know Jesus tonight. I think many of us in this room probably have at some point in their life, but in case there's not, this is an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for me to not only come and meet Jesus, but also to come and just worship Him, to spend time like we did this morning, just setting your gaze upon who He is and what He has done for you in Christ and allow the worship to fuel you to be irresistible in your families, your homes, in your schools in your workplaces, wherever it is that God has you, be irresistible. Be irresistible. Gary, would you lead us?